We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys for being here today. Uh, We've been waiting for this for a long, long time. Somebody wooed. Somebody else can woo, too. Yeah. Yes. It's so good to be here. We've been waiting for this day for a really long time. Carrie, Michelle, and I and our leadership team have just been planning and praying and fretting, frankly, about this day. And you guys uh, just make it such a gift and a blessing because, one, you showed up. And two, just so many people that came in here today told me about the people that they invited and brought with them. If you're, this is your first time in this place today, it's a great day to come. Uh, welcome. <laughs> We're so glad that you're here. If we haven't met before, my name is Colin, and I'm the pastor of this community, Branches, uh, that's starting today. And like I said, we've been dreaming about this for a really long time, and so it's pretty surreal uh, that it's happening today. Uh, let's give it up for the band, too, just crushing it today. They led us so well during our nights of worship and our preview Sundays back in August, and I'm just so stoked that we get to do this every Sunday and uh, excited to just have some talented people that lead us in worship and invite us into God's presence. We're going to talk about, for the next several weeks, starting with this Sunday, uh, what Branches even is, and not just what it is, but what we expect and hope that it will become if we keep some important things at the center, if we keep some main things, main things, if we have a center of gravity about, uh, around our life together. And so today we're going to talk about this passage. You showed up today, you're like, I wonder what Colin's going to preach about. John 15. By the time we get around to this passage again next year, we're all going to have it memorized, I promise. Uh, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Jesus paints this really beautiful picture of what it means to follow him. And he doesn't use any other metaphor in his own teaching and ministry other than this tree metaphor, this planting metaphor, this agricultural metaphor, and it shows us a little bit about the practice of life that we are trying to adopt as people that want to follow Jesus and be more like him. So I'm glad you're here today for this first Sunday of Branches officially. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we're grateful for this place, not just the physical place of it, but just the spirit that's in this room, the excitement that you brought with us, the peace that you're granting us in this place, for the invitations that were given, for the coffee and the donuts and the balloons and just the celebration that we're having this morning. We're so grateful for that. We're grateful for the encouragement and the levity that you bring to our spirits. We hope that in this time together of worship, that you would just instill that in us, that when we leave this place, we take a, place, a piece of this place with us that when we leave this place, we take just uh, an outpouring of your spirit with us, that when others see us, they see you, that when others experience us, they experience love and compassion and mercy and all those things that you exemplified when you were with us. We thank you for this day. We've been longing for it, and we know that you were here before us, long before us, preparing the way, preparing for us to be here and just drawing us to yourself. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philosophers for a long time have just been asking the question, uh, just at the base of what it means to be human, this one question, what is the good life? Uh, and I think many of you have your own answer. If you're thinking uh, you don't have an answer, that's part of your answer. What is 
the good life. And uh, philosophers like Plato and Aristotle were asking that question, what does it mean to live a good life? We have this limited period of time on earth. How are we going to use it? And how would someone describe it as good? I've probably had a dozen or more different pictures of what that good life was. It's changed a few times. Uh, It's different today, maybe even than it was last week, at least in some measure. And it certainly was different than when I was in high school. I had a vision of the good life. Some of you have heard the story before, but I wanted to share it again, that um, I was in a band in high school. Yes, I was very cool in high school. Um, And uh, that was a joke. Uh, And uh, (laughs) uh, I was in a band, and we were not good. And uh, we played shows like really frequently on weekends at churches and stuff. And my family, my dad in particular, were our biggest supporters. Uh, But one night we were playing a a show at a church in town, in the hometown I grew up in, in in Arkansas, Russellville. We're playing at a church there. It was also the same night as parent-teacher conferences. I was still in high school. And uh, my dad went to go see my teachers, and it was St. Patrick's Day. And uh, we were setting up to play, and I was really excited. There was a band that was playing that we were excited to get to open for, whatever. And my dad came, and I could see him standing in the back, and we were sound checking, and he came up to the edge of the stage, and he was like, are you having a good time? And I was like, yeah, I'm having a great time. I'm super excited. And he said, good, because it's the last good time you're going to have for a while. <laughs> uh, so I, I gave it my all that night, you know? Uh, my vision of the good life was to be in a really not very good band uh, and to drive around in a stinky van, which a bunch of other dudes, and sell T-shirts that were poorly designed and uh, play for 10 people, probably the other band. Uh, that was my vision of the good life. <laughs> and it's changed. I mean, today, honestly, I'm not pulling your chain at all. In this moment, in this place, my vision of the good life is this, to be in here with you. Uh, I... I want to be honest with you. I want to be, you know, vulnerable with you. Houston, Texas was never in my vision of the good life. (laughs) Uh, And now it's like front and center for me. I love this city. I love living here. I love being part of this community. I love being part of this new thing that God is doing. I love being able to start this community with all of you. It's, It's just the beginning of this vision of this good life. There's a a theologian, a Christian thinker that you may have heard of before. He's kind of gotten some renewed popularity in the past several years, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he's famous mostly because he was an outspoken voice against Nazi Germany when it was really hard to be a German person and speak out against it, even for Christians. And so he was a critic of Hitler publicly, and it ended up imprisoning him and ending his life. Uh, But he's also really well known for, in Christian circles, for this little book called Life Together. And it's really short, but it's really rich. And in it, he describes uh, what it means to live in community together. It's his answer to the good life. His answer to that question, what is the good life, is being with each other, being together in Christian community. And not in isolation like monks in the desert, but living together in a home, uh, sharing meals, sharing resources, living in the same space, praying together, having daily rhythms of prayer and practice, working and being outward-oriented to the world. That was his vision of the good life. And he wrote this little book called Life Together. And if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read it. But one interesting thing about Bonhoeffer's life is that he was part of a um, really wealthy, important family in Germany. And so he was kind of the outlier in his family, that he could have gone on to be an attorney or he could have been a professor. He studied actually to go into academia. He could have been this really important person uh, that wasn't a Christian theologian and certainly not somebody that took on you know, the powers that be and that led to his execution eventually. 
his brother, after kind of getting together with his family to maybe stage an intervention, went to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and was like, look, I know you're really passionate about this, but you're embarrassing us. <laughs> You've committed your life to this radical way of Christian living in this strange Christian community, and then other people see us and they ask about you, they're like, how's Dietrich? We have to tell them the truth, and it's embarrassing. <laughs> and he went to visit him, and he, Dietrich heard all this stuff from his brother, and Dietrich said, I want to show you something. And so they got in a boat, and they paddled across this lake, and they climbed up this hill, and they looked down, and there was an encampment, and it was a, like a Nazi youth training camp. Uh, and it was young people being trained to be in this ideology that was this taking over their country. And Dietrich's answer to his brother's pleads for him to, to leave this way of life pointed at what was happening and said, we have to be more than this. When I heard that story, it kept sticking with me. Like, that's the question I want to ask in ministry and in my marriage and in my life and in my neighborhood and in Houston is, we've got to be more than this. <laughs> and that doesn't mean more in quantity. That doesn't mean accumulating more. That doesn't mean more people necessarily. It means depth and complexity and transformation. We have to be more than this. And if we took the time to go over every person in this room and say, like, name one thing that you wish was fixed in our city or our society or in our culture or in your own life individually or in your family, we would come up with a variety of things that we would say to its face, we have to be more than this. We have to be more than our hatreds and prejudices that we harbor. We have to be more than the divisive things that we say. We have to be more than when we see people that we have enough to go around and people don't have enough. We have to be more than this. When I was in college, uh, they had these newly constructed houses on campus that were specifically meant, they were basically like eight dormitories in a house, and they were supposed to be themed housing. So there were foreign language houses, like if you spoke German, if you were inside the German house, you could only speak German with inside the German house. There was a greenhouse, it wasn't actually a greenhouse, it's where like all the environmentalist students lived together, and they like composted and stuff. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that critically. I'm like, that's pretty cool. They had like green jumpsuits and stuff. It kind of felt like a cult, if I'm being honest. Uh, but I always find it kind of felt left out, frankly. Uh, I, uh, I lived in the house uh, that took its call from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It was called the Bonhoeffer House. I was cool in high school. I was very cool with college. <laughs> uh, I lived in the Christian community house. And we prayed every morning together uh, begrudgingly sometimes, very, very early on a Monday to get together in a room and pray together. We cooked all of our meals. Uh, we shared space together, which was sometimes hard and sometimes really fruitful and good. I learned how to use a dishwasher. Uh, I put dish soap in the dishwasher and then came back to find the kitchen full of suds. Uh, I've got to be more than this, you know. Uh, <laughs> I have to grow up, and I grew up in a lot of ways. My vision of the good life changed being in that community. We're, we're lucky in some way uh, that Jesus gives us a picture of the good life too. Just this past week, I was looking at these pictures in the Houston Chronicle of this speech that JFK gave at Rice University some 60 years ago, almost exactly. And uh, he was giving the speech, it was kind of this moment where he was trying to get people excited about the space program. And he condensed the 50,000 years of human history into 50 years. And so it was like Christianity would only be two years old and the printing press came out last week and he was kind of describing if we condensed it down to 50 years and 
it wasn't just about accomplishing this scientific project, it's about the indomitable human spirit. He was essentially saying what the philosophers asked and what Bonhoeffer pointed to, like we have to be more than this and, and this accomplishment, going to the moon, is going to make us more. He painted a picture of the good life and it wasn't a religious picture of the good life, it was uh, a picture of the good life that showed people coming together for a common good to change the world, a picture of the good life. 244 days ago, I started working here, and I had a very uh, broad, foggy, uh, kind of unknown vision of the good life, but I knew it was an answer to that question. It has to be, well, one, more than an empty space with no name and no staff. <laughs> I was like, let's hire a worship leader and let's put up the biggest sign you've ever seen in your life. Uh, we're not going to the moon, though I don't want to rule it out. <laughs> uh, you know, next campus, moon base or something. Uh, but I had a vision of what it meant for us to live the good life together, to answer that question, to be in community with one another. And again, we're lucky to have a really specific picture, a difficult picture, I think, but from some guidance from Jesus of what it means to live the good life. He paints this picture. He says, uh, I'm the true vine. When you look it up, what he's saying is like, I'm the real deal. Like, I'm genuine. I'm the actual vine that bears fruit. I'm the source. I'm the true vine. And my father is the vineyard keeper or the vine grower. And you look all through this passage, the only person kind of given this actual um, active speech is God. He's the vine grower. He's the one doing all the work. And he's inviting us into this relationship, this experience. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine grower. That's the picture he, he invites us into. And he says, the way that you live that good life is to remain in me or to abide in me, to stay connected to me. There's kind of three facets to the, the life that he offers us. He says, one, you yield. You yield to the work of the vine grower. You surrender. Uh, the town I lived in in uh, college in Conway, Arkansas, there's a lot of roundabouts and 20% of the population knows how to use them. Uh, but there's this uh, yield sign. And we, Landon and I learned that one of our friends really didn't know how to use it because she was complaining that nobody knew how to use the yield signs. Don't they know that that just means you like speed right through it? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> not at all. It means you, you give of yourself, you open yourself, you're vulnerable, you stop for a second <laughs> and let some things happen and then move. You yield, that's what Jesus is talking about. You give yourself to the action of the vine grower. He also gives this really, I think, difficult image of pruning. Every time I read this verse, I think, oh my goodness, Colin, you named your church branches. And he says, whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Uh, uh, good job. I could have picked something that didn't have that promise in it, you know? Uh, but he invites us to be pruned, that is, and he gives us encouragement. You've already been pruned, you've already been cleaned by the word that I've given to you. I know, given this Sunday, that God has already prepared us. He's already pruned away the things that are make, gonna make us not bear good fruit because we're bearing good fruit right now. Third, just the under the, the surface of what Jesus is saying is that um, to, to live this good life is primarily to keep him at the center of it. And if you don't buy any of the claims about Jesus' spiritual life, I would defy you to argue with the way that he lived his life on behalf of others, sacrificially, 
with just overabundance of love and care and attention and giving of himself even to people that he knew would betray him. That's to keep Jesus at the center of our life is to emulate that. As Billy Abraham, as a Methodist thinker, said, if you spend enough time around Jesus, you start to smell like him. <laughs> to keep him at the center transforms who you are. That's what I want for us as a community, as branches, as just people that follow Jesus, even if this isn't your church home, even if it doesn't become the place that you come to on Sunday morning, that we would look at the world around us, we would look at our own individual lives, we would look at the ways that we're discontent, that we would look at the ways that we're struggling, and we could just say with Bonhoeffer, and I think with Jesus, we have to be more than this. We don't have to be flashier, we don't have to be uh, crazier, we don't have to be gimmicky, but we have to be more. We have to grow deeper. We have to resist superficiality and shallowness. We have to move beyond the, the ways that the church has done irreparable damage to some people. We, we have to be more than that. We have to be more than the ways that the church has said. Our doors are wide open verbally and functionally they're closed and locked. We have to be more than that. We have to be more than a, a, a people that show up on Sunday and live our lives totally differently during the week. We have to be more than that. We have to be more than people that we're, we're willing to cut people out of our lives because they don't think exactly the same way we do. We have to be more than that. We have to look down at whatever thing is before us and say, Jesus calls us to something more and I'm gonna begin with centering my life around him and see what maybe he could do if I yield myself to him. We have to be more. We have to be more than that. I just wanna end by, by sharing that um, we have these three core values that we've said over and over and over again about what it means to be branches. Belonging, daring, and abiding. And over the next three weeks, we're going to dig into each one of those core values to see what it means practically to say, we have to be more than this in Houston. That's our mission. That's our vision. That's who we're going to be together. We're going to be more together in Houston. We're going to uh, emphasize at the front end, not productivity and doing and working, but being first, being something, being more. And we're not going to do it in isolation or individually. The good news is we're never alone. We're going to do it together. And we're going to do it specifically in this place that we call home in Houston. We're going to be more together in Houston. And the three core values are the how of that. How are we going to do that together? We're going to begin and end with belonging. Uh, I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. Just so we remember what belonging, in, belo belonging is. It, belonging is not fitting in. Fitting in is assessing the situation and being assessed and then you see whether or not you can come in. Belonging is belonging. Come in. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doors flung open wide for all people in all places at all times. Belonging, period. Begin there, end there. And I want to give just kind of a touchstone for us. Uh, if you're here and you're kind of skeptical of this place or of me or of Christianity or of Jesus or anything like that, I just want to like put that in the front and say that if you ever notice this place or myself or the leadership not practicing belonging, uh, you, you have the, the free will and you have my encouragement to point it out. <laughs> Begin and end with belonging. Second, daring. that We, we want to take risks so we can reach people in our city with the good news and the love of Jesus and abiding. We want to be people that are deeply rooted in something bigger than ourselves. We want to remain centered on Jesus. That's my invitation to you. My invitation, of course, to you is to come back next week. <laughs> my invitation to you is, of course, invite more people into this place so we can have a 930 service. <laughs> 
My invitation to you is to follow Jesus with everything that you have so it touches every facet and corner of your life. That's my invitation to you. But more than anything else, my invitation to you is to ask that question. What does it mean to be more than this, the way that it is now? What does it mean to you for this place, this community to be more? What does it mean for you to be more? There has to be more than this. We have to be more than this. Can we do that together? Can we join hands, as Wesley said, and though we may not think alike, can we at least love alike? Because that's really the goal, is love, primarily. When we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, we're trying to be people of love. Can we do that together? Can we be more than this? I think we can. I'm encouraged that we can. I believe this promise that Jesus gives, that if, big if here, if we abide in him, if we stay connected to him, if he's the center of gravity in our life, everything will change. Everything will be transformed. Your disposition, your desires, who you are, the way you treat others will be radically and irreparably changed. Let's be more together in Houston. Let's belong, dare, and abide together. Let's be more than what we have been. Let's be more than what we are this Sunday, next Sunday. Let's be more. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this invitation and this promise that if we stay connected to you, um, everything changes. That you give us a vision of the good life, that the life that you offer is the lifestyle that you lived. Help us emulate that. Challenge us, shape us, form us, push us if we need it. Help us be partners with one another that, that show each other the way, that give each other guidance, give each other a listening ear. Let us lean on one another. Let's be dependent on one another and on you. We ask that we take the energy and the excitement of this Sunday and, and push it in the Sundays to come and in the days in between, those other hours that we have to give to you. We're grateful for this place. We're grateful for you. We're grateful that this day is finally here. Not that we have an hour set aside to do some things together, but we have this hour set aside where you show up in our lives. We give all of this to you. Lift it all up to you with thanks and uh, praise for who you are and who you're calling us to be as a people. Amen.